This week, Michael's not with us, but Doug White is going to be here with me, as well as Ali Golshan from Stack Rocks, which recently just came out of stealth mode. They're a container security company. I'm sure there's I'm probably putting that wrong, but uh, <laughs> Ali's going to spend some quality time with us talking about one of my favorite topics recently, which is uh, container and microservices security, uh, as well as the whole implementation of uh, containers and security, which I know all of you, when I post on social media that I'm doing something like to poke fun at me, that I'm, I'm doing it wrong, which is awesome. This is a lot of fun. And we're going to spend the entire show uh, with this one segment talking about that topic, which has me excited. So stay tuned. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show about security startups, how to secure your startup, and advice for security startups. It's Startup Security Weekly. I need it from the top. Brought to you by, do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. IT Pro TV's team solution provides group pricing and access to their supervisor portal. You'll gain full control over your team training schedule, see individual and group analytics, and more. IT Pro TV does IT Live every day, so you know you're getting the most current IT training. Go to itpro.tv forward slash startup security and use the code SS30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. To learn more about IT Pro TV's team solution, sign up for a free demo of their supervisor portal. Gain control of cyber risk with Tenable IO, the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud, containers, and web apps. Discover a fresh asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment. And improve ROI with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets, not IP addresses. Tenable IO delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface. Start your free Tenable IO trial today by visiting tenable.io. Welcome, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian, and this is episode 48, uh, one of the, probably the last show that we'll do before we head off to Black Hat and DEF CON and then resume our shows uh, after we get back. Here with me today is not Michael Santarcangelo. It's actually Doug White. Doug. It's Doug White. I think I'm the here. only host that's been on every single show on the network. I have. I have. I've been on every show on the network. It's shocking that it's that would be allowed even. In fact, I think there's an FCC rule, but since we're on the internet. Well, you don't we let me on Secure Digital Life to preserve your <laughs> I'm the only host that's been on every show <laughs> mantra. No, we don't let, yeah, that's why we don't let it's you on It's a funny there, trick. Yeah, that's that's a, I know your game. Yeah, I know your game. Like, it's, it's fine. It's just my slow, <laughs> insidious way of taking over. That's right. It's like the tendrils of, yeah. <laughs> well, like two or three years 
minutes from now, it's going to be, hey, welcome yeah. to Doug's Security That's Weekly. Right. <laughs> Paul, Paul is no longer That's with right. us. Yeah. Rest in peace, I've Paul. Been displaced. If only we knew where he was. <laughs> well, it's great to have you here today, Doug. Thank you for uh, having me. Always. It's an honor and a pleasure. Um, I just want to briefly talk about IT Pro. Uh, they've got what they're calling their supervisor portal. Do you know what this is, Doug? Yeah. Uh, it allows you to manage your employees' experience right. with training. So you sign up for this corporate membership. You can set goals. You can set due dates. You can assign training modules to employees. I think it's great. I can't wait to start using I, it. I saw it on Security Weekly when I looked yeah. at it because yeah. I was like, that's a really cool idea. It's a great yeah. idea. I, uh... I can't wait to start using it. Now, what I don't want people to do is punish employees for not doing training. <laughs> if employees aren't doing training, it means a couple of things, I think. It means they're not motivated uh, by properly manage, by proper managers or leadership in the organization. Yeah. It also means you're probably not allotting enough time for that employee to do right. training. I'd Tell your employees, hey, take this morning Go do some training. You have, Shift to, give, their you have to give people time because they have yeah. lives and they have other things yeah, to do. Absolutely. But mostly my experience with IT people is that if they are being challenged in their job, which means you're a good leadership, then they want to be trained because yes. they don't want to be stuck. Uh, I don't want to be pigeonholed and say, you know, I only know how to do this one thing or right. I'd still be doing mainframes. You were talking about that earlier. And you know, yeah. it's like, I want to be able to do new things and learn new things so I'm more valuable to you. But you got to give people time because they have lives too. Yes. And, you know, they so have tell to, your employer, yeah. itpro.tv for slash startup security, you get 30% off for the lifetime of your monthly membership. SS30 is the discount code. I am very excited to introduce Ali Golshan from Stack Rocks. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. I want you to start. Um, uh, now, uh, how did Stack Rocks uh, get started? Like, what was the, uh, you're, uh, I'm assuming you're the co-founder and what, so what exactly is your title there? I'm co-founder and CTO. CTO, okay. So when you had the idea uh, for this company, like how did that come to fruition? <laughs> sure. So um, uh, my, myself and my co-founder and CEO, Samir, have known each other for a number of years. Um, so in 2014, um, especially kind of in the early of the year, I was actually in my previous company, a company I founded called Cyfort. Um, and I was tracking the whole movement from virtualization, from traditional VMs to um, containerization, mostly due to the microservices trends. Um, and I just became overly fascinated and obsessed with containerization. Um, so at the time, my co-founder was actually at Google. So he was firsthand dealing with security infrastructure that was containerized. Um, so my first plan was actually try to see if, hey, can I build this in my existing company? Um, and when it turned out that... Um, um, the team at that time was not really interested in containerization. Um, like any true geek, you know, with some core principles, I was like, okay, well, screw this. I'm going to leave. I'm going to start a new company. Um, so I started talking with my co-founder quite a bit. Uh, we spent all of summer 2014 talking about this concept, going through it, um, thinking about use cases. Um, by the end of the year, around November, um, I quit, left my last startup. Um, Samir left uh, Google. Um, when we basically spent like a month and a half, two months just traveling around talking to like 60, 65 CISOs, um, basically about the roadmap, what they used to um, do for security, how they look to secure this new infrastructure. Um, and it was basically a very clear signal that um, companies were very ill-prepared to deal with the new landscape and new security and um, vulnerability issues that were going to arise from containerization. Um, I think the companies who develop the products, like Docker, are doing a tremendous job building security into a lot of the build and core processes. But uh, as I'm sure you guys know, once you get to that runtime stage, it's a whole new ballgame. 
Um, so as we kind of saw this trend, we saw this build happening, um, we really spent more and more time, teased out some of the initial problems, and that's really how we got together and started StackRocks. So what uh, specific problems uh, are you addressing and in, in solving for customers? Yeah. So um, there's really three, three core areas that we try to focus on immediately. And this is more, um, more in line with what you see from very early stage um, sectors and technologies. So first of all, we're focusing on just trying to create very deep, ubiquitous visibility into an infrastructure. Um, a lot of customers use different environments, different clouds, public, private, hybrid, or combinations. Um, and being a, having a real-time update of what is happening in your environment, having deep visibility, basically understanding the context of what's happening in your environment was very key. Um, so our view was that visibility is kind of the starting point that you need to get to. Um, the way we create visibility, and I'm happy to kind of talk about that mm -hmm. in more detail, that's kind of a natural transition for us to translate a lot of the signals we see into detection models. Um, so we go from visibility to detection. And once we detect, one of the big learning lessons we had in our old kind of older jobs um, and dealing with traditional network and infrastructure was um, people are definitely tired of just alerts. No more just, hey, this is what's happening. Um, so we went from creating visibility to detection to actually overlaying enforcement as part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and our big view of this was that um, a lot of companies right now are using up to 40, 50, 60 suites of products just to deal with a set of you know, rudimentary stuff. Um, so our view was that if we kind of built that into the fabric of the infrastructure from the very beginning, then that gives us a very interesting launch point. So our main focus to start with visibility, detection, and then enforcement. So how did you go to initial investors and explain that you're a containerization company? Because a lot of technology people I talk to are like, I really haven't like done the whole you know, Docker thing. And uh, isn't it just like a VM? That's like what I get. But you had to go to investors and describe uh, what I believe, like some of the technology to, for them to understand your solution, right? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of key um, key things to remember. Um, one being containerization in its current form might be you know only three to four years old, especially since the start of Docker, Core OS. Um, we've seen that momentum with Kubernetes, but containers or the more traditional, if you think about it from a C group standpoint, um, you know companies like Google have been using this for 10, 11 years. So the concept is actually not new. Mm -hmm. So when we started the company and we wanted to fundraise um, our seed financing in January of 2015, um, the people we went to were actually very renowned and um, you know highly in tune technology um, executives. Um, people like Alex Stamos, the CSO at Facebook, Joe mm -hmm. Sullivan, the CSO at Uber, Mark Leslie, who was the founder of Veritas, Joe Sullivan, who SDVP at Cisco. Um, these were folks who were very well aware of these trends building, and they understood how traditional infrastructure, um, especially in enterprise, enterprise security, enterprise infrastructure, and enterprise tools, uh, will be impacted by this notion of containerization, um, especially if you put it in the context of immutable or ephemeral infrastructure. Um, so we went to people initially that we understood these are the folks that we need to be our champions. Um, these were CISOs or CIOs of large enterprises that understood what the security challenges were. Um, and for this, this was not something that they viewed as, oh, this is too far out into the future. They were already seeing the use cases. Um, I'm sure you guys remember this. You know, the way virtualization and VM started was everybody started using it in dev and in then staging and testing, and then eventually it rolled into prod. So when we started, we went with folks who were already either, you know, toe in the water in prod mm -hmm. or were very mature from the standpoint of development as well as um, staging processes. So they understood the value of containerization. 
Um, you also probably had to explain your differentiators. Um, and while it is somewhat of a new technology in container security, what are some of your major differentiators in the market today? Sure. Um, so I think the, the differentiators really come down to what is it that you're actually trying to um, resolve for an enterprise? Like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Um, so if you kind of start from the very basic step, which is visibility, um, the way visibility we think really works is um, through instrumentation. Um, I've always been, you know, kind of in traditional application development, I was a huge fan of things like taint analysis, because I felt it was one way for an attacker never be able to bypass their signals within an application. Um, so we started foundationally, we looked at it and said, how can we build a new platform for the enterprise um, that is not reliant on old techniques? So one of the major differentiators that took us a good year to year and a half to build um, was really how do you efficiently and in high-performance models instrument the infrastructure in a way that you actually see all network data, all system calls, memory indicators, CPU memory correlation, even the commands that the operating system is issuing to the application. Um, that in itself was a feat um, to accomplish, um, and I'm happy to get into how we at a high level managed to accomplish that. Um, but what that gives us is if you think about how traditional security solutions work, they come in with some preconceived notion of this is somewhat malicious. I know what I'm looking for. These are some heuristics, threat intelligence, signatures, or models of threat that I'm looking for. Um, this deep instrumentation allows us to come in. And if you compare us to even the closest competitors in the market, we see orders of magnitude more of data. Um, and that is one of the core driving factors for us, because what we can do with that data is, is then we pump it into an on-premise machine learning model. Um, and that model is not a single model. We actually use a combination of models, almost in like a sub-modular model, um, to be able to take all this raw data and start to translate it into visibility and then eventually intelligence. Um, so purely from the standpoint of data we see and touch, it's exponentially more than any traditional solution or other competitor in the market. Now, what that allows us to do is a couple of very unique things. Um, as I'm sure you guys know, one of the largest challenges for enterprises is to either backhaul this information to a SaaS solution um, or deal with um, traditional kind of signatures, heuristics, or um, kind of legacy style models of detection. Um, so what this allows us to do is running on-premise with a microservices-oriented architecture. Um, an enterprise can basically pump all their data through us um, so we can basically build a much larger level of intelligence and insight into that organization. Um, so we go in with no preconceived notions of what is healthy, what is it that we're supposed to detect, um, and how we're supposed to detect. Um, the way we build our models is, is that we detect, um, we detect on what we call tradecrafts or statecrafts. We understand techniques the attackers use. So we bring these techniques with our product, and as our product touches these volumes of data in your infrastructure, it starts to fine-tune detection models for your infrastructure. That's where enterprises with our product have started to see a massive differentiator against the things that are existing in the market. Ali, what are some of your main uh, selling points when you for, went to your first customers? Were they, like, did they know that they had the problem? Did you have to convince them that they had the problem? And with this being somewhat new, newer technology, you know, did that make it more difficult? Or did it make it easy because you were one of the first people coming to them say, hey, I can help you with this problem. They're like, oh, yeah, I've been struggling with that. Sure. Um, so uh, where we started, the initial enterprises we started with um, were somewhat aware of the problem. Um, they also understood the value they could receive from containerization. Um, so even though we had to do a little bit of education, um, the kind of the first 40, 50, 60 customers in the enterprise we went to um, understood theoretically, even from a concept standpoint, what the problem was. 
um, and how they kind of needed to get there, um, especially because our target market is really enterprise and global 2000 customers. Um, when we got into our POC and actual deployments within a year in, so we actually developed our first kind of alpha MVP product within a year of the company being um, created. Mm-hmm. So really for the last year and a half before we even launched the company a few days ago, for a year and a half, we've been running in dozens of enterprises, large scale companies kind of working and fine tuning this. Um, one of the first aha moments most people understand, and I'm sure this will kind of resonate with you as you were telling me before mm-hmm. the show you're starting to experiment with Docker is, um, I'm sure you understand once you kind of go beyond a controlled environment and you have a scaled out environment, really microservices or containerization almost acts like an organic um, organic model um, where behaviors change, um, application versions, processing, um, patching all kind of happen in real time in a CI pipeline. Um, so what you end up with is a lot of potentially rogue, anomalous, or just kind of dark containers or applications that are running idle, you know, spun up without authentication, without authorizations or proper permissions. Um, so most of the companies that we um, we ran into found the initial piece that they really liked about us was we have this complete behavioral auto discovery of your entire infrastructure. So when you deploy us, um, because we are completely orchestrator and um, and um, um, uh, scheduler aware, um, we tend to find every container application and service that's running in your environment without you giving us any indicators. Um, so we found that was really a compelling moment where an enterprise would spin us up um, and then would point to us and say, hey, you're mistakenly showing me a bunch of pods. This is incorrect. Um, and then once we would dive in, they would actually discover that either their infrastructure left it off, they had left things exposed. Mm-hmm. So that really created that hook point that we would basically then drive and move forward. One of my greatest concerns, and your product is addressing this, is that in my when I first started uh, building some of my first containers, I was like, wow, like developers who are creating these containers are now sysadmins, and that frightened me <laughs> big time. And I think that's yeah. probably a really good selling point for you. Feel free to use it. Um, because <laughs> developers typically don't have the background in that level of systems administration. And what I also found is that sysadmins and security people didn't have the knowledge yet or don't have the knowledge yet to fully understand the environment and make those recommendations. So um, how can your pro- it sounds like your product helps with that problem. I don't know if you have some more specific examples. Yeah, so I'll touch on this briefly, um, partially because we're in the very early stages of doing this, but I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the main reasons containerization, especially, you know, containers like Docker were adopted early on from, you know, even Rocket CoreOS and even to some degree LXC was um, it made the developer's job a lot easier. Um, You didn't have to ask for environments. You didn't have to ask for instances. You could basically replicate what you're pushing into prod in your own environment. Um, As a result, um, this created essentially very low friction for development. Actually, large companies eventually moved to this because it created a more friendly environment for developers and it was a differentiator even for recruiting. Um, So the way we looked at it is is you can't add that friction back into the process. Um, And the key thing to understand is, is that even though there's a concentration by companies like Docker itself on the build process, you know, even up, um, upstream on things like repository, notary, the build process, vulnerability scanning, all these sorts of things, that's a stage you cannot ignore and you have to take that intelligence and apply it at runtime. The reason we think about that is, is that we really try to create a feedback loop. As much as we try to make sure your infrastructure during runtime is secured, we want to be able to create that pipeline to be able to give that feedback to the developer. Because the way we look at it, it's, it's a lot simpler for a developer to basically fix something in an image 
and push it back versus you trying to go back and put in a lot of controls in runtime and in production, trying to basically lock down or segment um, or create enforcement policies. Because in production, you create ripple effects versus a developer who can fix something in an image and then push one image and rebuild in prod. Um, and that could be a much more efficient way to solve vulnerabilities in this step. So the feedback loop of what you discover and how developers can fix that is actually a big part of this process. Uh, if you run into limitations uh, because the management tools today, um, mm. basically people tell me they're a hot mess. <laughs> and it sounds like your product can say, well, you, you have these issues and you can fix them. I kind of feel like in, in my limited experience so far, the tools we have available to us to fix them are just like not quite there. People tell me Kubernetes is like a horrible thing to experience is <laughs> really how people describe it to me. Mm -hmm. Have you like run into limitations where your product has identified, you know, issues and customers are struggling uh, to fix them? Sure. So, you know, my view of this is that like any, um, any sector, we're just in the early stages of this, right? We're kind of still at the crawl stage. Um, the ecosystem is still forming. It's going through maturity. You know, it was only like a year and a half, two years ago that networking was standardized in the Docker runtime engine. Mm -hmm. um, so we're kind of taking these steps. I think if we look back, you know, whether it was public cloud, whether it was virtualization, any large trend you look at takes a little bit of time from a maturity standpoint. Um, now, we are personally huge fans of Kubernetes. Meso, Swarm, DDC, all these orchestration scheduling layer um, uh, tools that are coming out. Um, they clearly have some um, growing up and <clears throat> maturing to do. Um, but what we're seeing is, is that even at this stage, they provide an exponential higher value for large enterprises, especially as they're going towards web scale and highly performant infrastructures. Um, the other thing we look at is, is that um, as a security solution in this ecosystem, you can't look at yourself anymore as, hey, I'm a host-based solution, I'm an agent, I'm a demon, I'm a point-based solution. Yeah. Um, so way, the way we look at it, especially because we deal with enterprises and global 2000 companies, is we actually consider ourselves a white glove service. Even though we have a product, we're not a managed service or a professional services, um, our entire team of engineering, we're only a team of 35 people, but 25 of that is in engineering. Mm -hmm. um, and we're not just security experts. You know, 70% of our team is infrastructure, um, orchestration, host, system level people that we recruited from Google or Facebook or Apple um, or other system or deeply scalable, um, knowledgeable teams. Um, so the way we look at it is, is when we go into an enterprise, we're not purely focused on just installing the security layer and then saying, hey, we hope you can work everything else out. Right. Uh, we actually have deep knowledge of that entire stack. Um, so when we, for example, do builds, um, we actually build our product on top of every public cloud a matrix of orchestrators, their versions. Um, so we're highly in tune with that. So as much as I appreciate, and I think you are right, that some companies go through this process of how do I resolve some of those early problems with these orchestration layer tools, um, they understand that a lot of the flexibility it brings is down to the customization you can create. You are essentially building a hugely customized mesh for yourself doing this. Um, and I think that's part of it. I don't think it's really the focus is on complexity, but understanding really what is the use case you're trying to drive, and how do you fit this into your ecosystem? Now you, you mentioned that your solution is on-premise, and I, I find it interesting when I started looking into microservices and, and containers, it seemed like more people, like there was this whole push into the cloud, but then you get to microservices and containers, and <laughs> largely people are, even now, uh, people that adopted cloud are kind of skeptical pushing 
out their containers into um, what is Amazon's uh, product uh, EC, their container. ECS. ECS. Uh, they're kind of skeptical about that because they lose some control, so they're bringing it back into on-premise. D- did that like cause issues in your sales process or your investing process to, to kind of shift people's minds to this isn't really a cloud push thing where traditional security vendors are like, well, security's in the cloud now. This now in microservices and containers, I feel like we're kind of going back to on-premise. Is that true? Um, so I think, I, I think it's a couple of combinations. Um, if you look at, um, there's really two types of companies who are adopting containerization. There are kind of the more traditional companies who are looking at a competitive edge from a standpoint of infrastructure, cost savings. Because if you go from traditional virtualization, VM style environments to containerization, you know, you have somewhere, you know, arguably anywhere between five to 10x savings from the standpoint of performance, um, utilization of services. Um, and how well you can optimize your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the reason a lot of these large companies are running private data centers is because that's just their normal deployment models. That's just their data centers. Um, I think that's the majority of their deployment is actually happening. Um, on the other side, you see the companies that are, you know, kind of the forward-looking, the more recent companies who almost build cloud-native infrastructure and stacks, even enterprise solutions. Um, those folks are looking at um, at um, these, um, whether it be GKE, ECS, or Azure container service or IBM's um, uh, public layers um, as having the basic foundations in place. Um, Like a perfect example is if you're using Docker and you're in the Docker ecosystem, there's a lot of great maturity at the build process, at the, for example, image layer security. All those are foundationally there. So Docker is doing a fantastic job building security into the infrastructure and the platform. Um, The problem is, is everybody understands once you move applications into runtime, once you have an application processing data in an environment that you do not control, security risks naturally increase. Mm -hmm. And I think companies have learned their lessons by introducing new technology and not baking security into the fabric initially. So because I think most enterprises are looking at this movement towards containerization as micro- and microservices, not as a short-term gain or a fab, but basically this is what they're betting their next 10 to 20 years of infrastructure and deployment on, they are trying to be much more meticulous about building security into the fabric before they push it out and make it operational. Um, so I think with a lot of good reason, um, enterprises and companies who are using containerization and microservices are trying to be a lot more bulletproof in their security layer, understand how they can potentially use one platform instead of using 10 to 20 different products down the road. So this is where they're doing a lot more homework and investing a lot more into kind of trust and privacy in this whole stack before they really roll it out and operationalize it. Especially because if you use containers the right way, it's substantially more secure. If you use it incorrectly, it's potentially a lot more insecure. Hmm. So that's the balance. But but I, I, I will say that one one thing about the cloud versus on-premise, a lot of the company, a lot of enterprises have invested, you know, multi-million, billion dollars worth of uh, on-premise stuff. So it's all sitting there. And they basically, I agree, I agree with everything you said, but they don't basically trust the cloud. They don't know how to do prod or dev prod into the cloud, which it looks sounds like you're trying to resolve. And because they have all that infrastructure already in place, it sits there on premise. And when you go back to management and you say, why don't we scrap all this stuff that we bought? 
and move it over to Amazon. <laughs> Management says, you just told us we needed $50 million worth of big iron sitting in the basement. Now you're telling me we should get rid of that and move it to the cloud, so we just sell all this for scrap. So there's a lot of, I think, paradigm shifting going on right now mm -hmm. that, that probably hasn't matured out in the marketplace in terms of what the cloud really looks like, say, 10 years from now, and how that high, because I like the idea of a hybrid, where there's stuff mm -hmm. on premise, there's stuff in the cloud, and that's the dev prod kind of, we were talking before the show about all that stuff looping back around. That's that old dev prod model again. So now I got a shell, I'm going to push stuff out of my dev shell into the prod environment. Okay, well here we can do this all again, which <laughs> sounds exactly like what you're, you're talking about. So I, I, I like that I'm hearing that from, from newcomers in that, in that field. But yeah, I actually couldn't agree with you more. One, one touch point I'll add there is, is one of the big things we're hearing from our Global 2000 customers is the reason they're moving to containerization or microservices is this level of agility and flexibility gives them in their application and in their general services. Um, most companies don't know and in five years if they want to be purely on cloud, you know, public, private, or hybrid. So this actually allows them to build that agility into their layer so they can make these decisions down the road. So they're not bound by the fact that we have all this iron or we moved all this data into AWS and we can't move it out because it's expensive. So this actually gives them that flexibility to be able to pick the infrastructure or platform regardless of their use cases. Now, a lot of people, when I talk about containerization, they'll be like, well, wouldn't I just deploy a bunch of VMs? And I think people are stuck in that mindset. So yeah. you know, for, for our listeners, <laughs> why would you move to, like, what are some of the advantages of moving and why wouldn't you just deploy a whole bunch of virtual machines? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the analogy I use here with some folks who brought this up in our first year where we used to talk yeah. about it is it's like when I would, when people would tell me that, I would say, well, that's like saying I'm going to buy a motorbike to save on fuel on time, and every time you want to drive it, you load it into the back of a truck and you drive it there. Um, <laughs> so, I like it. Um, I like it. You know, like I think, I think running it in a VM um, initially for you to get the grasp of it is a good idea. Like a VM is like training wheels the way I look at it. Is do you understand the ecosystem? It's a way for me to understand exactly what interfaces with my containerization. But the whole point of containerization is so you can remove that whole notion of hypervisor, the additional layer of operating system that's deployed and be able to increase your kind of data center optimization from that 20 to 25%, which is normal, up to the 60, 70% layers, which you know companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Netflix can move to. Um, so it's really that additional optimization. If you're using containerization um, purely from a packaging standpoint to make it a lot easier, this is a lot, um, a lot of what actually Docker um, CoreOS is being used for, a great and easy packaging tool, then there is some argument to be able to do that. Initially run it in a VM because that's your infrastructure. Um, but quite frankly, what we're seeing at this point is that this trend, even in large companies, is starting to erode away that core VM-type deployment. Um, companies that have been experimenting with Docker or CoreOS or any runtime um, containerized infrastructure, um, especially over the last year, are now gradually moving away from that deployment model because that was a way for them to basically manage it, keep an eye on it, and put it in a box that they really understood. Mm -hmm. Now that they've gotten comfortable with the ecosystem, um, and to your previous point, the ecosystem System from management to deployment to orchestration to security especially um, is getting a lot more mature, they're starting to expand that and open that up. So our view is, is over the next year, year and a half, we're actually going to see a lot more deployment um, in a more standardized containerization deployment as well as in public clouds. Uh, we're actually working with three global um, hundred companies 
um, that in the next year are actually going to push using us into public cloud infrastructure because they feel secure about the deployment model they have. Um, um, so Holly, we think this is, is just um, early stages. What is what is core for our listeners? What is core OS? And what are the advantages to using it? I experimented with it, and it seemed like it was so different from traditional Linux and systems administration that I was like, well, I need to take a step back and learn about that before I do that. Like, that, was, that was way too big of a step for me. But what is, what is CoreOS and what are the advantages? Sure. So the, the simplest way to think about it, CoreOS, is basically simplifying the traditional Linux uh, kernel and optimizing it for containerization runtime. So CoreOS has its own runtime, you know, similar to Docker runtime, which is called Rocket. Um, this is basically an entire one suite that you can have a runtime and a kernel that is optimized for containerization. So CoreOS, like Docker, is a, con uh, is a company that is working on containerization technology, um, but they're taking the full stack approach uh, versus the application layer runtime platform layer. They're going all the way down and optimizing mm -hmm. to the kernel. So would you run Docker containers on top of CoreOS? Is that what it's designed for? Or do they have their own container service or both? So you can do both. Obviously, Rocket, which is the runtime engine for CoreOS, is best optimized to run on CoreOS environments. Mm -hmm. um, but now with the open source projects like Project Mobi, um, RSI, all these sorts of standardization um, projects that are coming out for just standardizing the runtime for containers, that is allowing a more um, agnostic platform layer for all these solutions to be able to run each other's runtimes. Um, actually, to that point, one of the big things we're seeing is some of the companies um, are actually trying to standardize around orchestration runtime. So they want to be kube-centric. They don't necessarily care what the runtime engine is at top of that. Mm. Um, this is really where we focus on, and this is why I think the security layer should be very much agnostic. It shouldn't be a daemon or an agent. It actually should be very much a citizen of the stack. So go ahead, Doug. I, I'm going to ask you like an almost pure startup question. I, I'm a pretty good representation. I, I run this network that's called the Faculty Research Network, which we call the Pirate Network, but uh, at Roger Williams University. And, and what, what we do is, is we're always supporting all this stuff. And I have tons of VMs. So, so this is the startup question is I'm a, I'm a startup. I have tons of VMs that I'm doing for all sorts of different things. How, how would you tell me to move from where I am, which is just in this nice big iron sitting in the server room, you know, VM world to where you are. I mean, I mean, that's, that's what I would love to do that. So, so what do I need sure. to do? Sure. So, I mean, the, the way I would start that is, is the first thing I would ask you is what is your use case? Because moving to containerization may actually not make sense for you at this stage. Um, you know, I think containerization solves a couple of different problems. It solves the packaging problem. It sol solves the scalability problem. And much, much more importantly, it, I think to me, it solves the notion of automation. Um, we're getting to a point that, you know, things like web scale performance and service offerings, especially continuous deployment, um, are getting to a point that we can't make decisions at human speed anymore. We have to rely on machine speed. Uh, speed. As a result, we have to focus on automation. Um, so my view is, is that really understanding what is the use case? Um, why would you want to be able to move these VMs to containerization or potentially our microservices architecture? Um, if the use case makes sense for you, then we go through the process of understanding, well, what makes sense? Does it make sense just to port and migrate your apps from VMs into containers? Or is the use case you're going after the more longer term where you actually have to break apart your applications and build microservices? So quite frankly, the way we look at ourselves is we've spent two and a half years in this industry becoming thought leaders. 
We don't go into companies and say, move everything so we can sell you security and go from there. Uh, we understand this is kind of a journey with a lot of our customers. We're willing to invest years if necessary, work with our customers, give them the knowledge base. You know, we have global 50 companies that have worked with us since day one, but just in the last, you know, two months, they became paying customers because we went through this process. If they didn't need us, we would tell them they don't need us. Because of our knowledge base, we would tell them, hey, should you go with Kubernetes, Mesos, DDC Swarm? Um, so we try to look at ourselves as not just trying to push the product, but we try to exactly understand what is your use case in the ecosystem and then bring ourselves in when it makes sense. And, and, and so, so I, would, I would applaud that answer because I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of startups have difficulty with, which, which is this use case idea, because a lot of startups are, are really just sitting in the, in the, wherever they've chosen to be in some niche, where that, that's their whole objective. And when you jump into that, you go out and you hire a couple of great people, like, like you and your partner or whatever, and, and they jump in and go, give, it, give us everything you've got. And, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, you end up in this horrible quack. And I've consulted with those companies, too, where they're in this awful quagmire of, we bought this, what do we do with it? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I always am trying to talk to them about it. So I'm really glad to hear you saying that because this is another example. The containerization is a great example of this. It's the next big thing. And yeah. it's growing, and everybody hears about it, and they want to run out and buy some and try it. So I'm going to get my containerization, inject it in my arm, and <laughs> see, see, you know, how cool was it, you know, or I'm going to die. And, yeah. and, and, that's, and so really, as, a, as startup listeners out there, be careful that you understand that use case. What is the model before you go buy it and shoot it in your arm? Because it may not be what you thought. And it, it's great, but there's other solutions too. And you need to find out where you fit on that continuum and don't get too carried away because all of a sudden then you're in a giant mess. Yeah. And, and that would uh, be my comment along, about that. Along those lines, I want to uh, talk about the threats. And I think that's something that when we talk to security startups, you have to make the customer and the security community at large aware of the threats. When mm -hmm. I look at what are the threats to containerization and microservices, I have some concerns, but I haven't seen, and, and please point me if there, there does exist this research, I haven't seen where someone is researching how to break out of a container, how to abuse trust between containers. And that was one thing when I first set it up, I was like, oh, well, this container talks to this container and it trusts it in this mm -hmm. way and it uh -huh. shares data in this way. And I'm like, well, now there's controls that I've set between containers. And what happens when that's broken? So uh, along those lines, Ali, what are the threats and Good. what does your product do to and detect before, before you answer, I want to ask a question I was thinking of earlier that fits right into the same question, which is, do the, container, do, do the containers in StackRx, do they learn from each other? You were talking about machine learning. So do they share that information from container to containers? So that, that was just kind of in the same... Like if there's a threat, can the container... So, share yeah, the so I learned about this threat, so I'm going to share it with all the other containers that are running on the same platform so that right. they all know about this threat, too, and can learn from it and take action. So exciting. Sure. So I'll give you guys a couple of summary answers, and then I'll let you guys uh, determine which one you want me to dive into. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> Rather than rant for about 10 minutes. Um, so to answer your first question in regards to the threats we see, um, it's a simple way to think about this. Um, containerization infrastructure is no different than running traditional infrastructure. You're still dealing with application, you're still dealing with, uh, still dealing with data, and you're still dealing with vulnerabilities in flawed in code and in configuration in your general infrastructure. So we don't look at containerization versus other solutions any different 
differently, we look at ourselves as protecting against attacks. Now, some specific things we've seen in containerization, um, this actually we've seen in one of our uh, global 50 customers, um, and we named it Container Hijack and Kill, uh, where we actually saw an attacker drop a payload into the actual container, um, break out of that container using a vulnerability, um, spread laterally, and then kill the original container to remove any forensics or attribution data. So anytime That's a security awesome. tool would discover yeah, it, all they would cool. find is symptoms. Yeah, that was very interesting for us. Um, because of the way we do things, we actually historically have all that data. We actually mm. have all that pre-recording of the data where we can understand actually what were the, um, the steps that it went through. Um, so the way I would answer that question is, um, like any new technology, there's all the traditional security issues you have to deal mm. with, the general attacks, you know, the OWASP stuff, the privilege escalation, credential harvesting, data leakage, and any software have vulnerabilities. And then there's the new attack surface because of this proliferation of applications. That's one part of it. Um, and then the way we solve this is goes back to your um, question is, um, our system actually does learn. Um, so this is a very key differentiator for us, which is, is that when we deploy, um, services are not operating as an individual. They don't have a set of intelligence, signatures, or models that they're detecting. They basically look at a mesh of infrastructure. So we have a lot of ML that is saying, if this data was processed upstream, how did it impact this application? What did it do to this application? And how did this general behavior across this entire service or application change? Did it touch something new? Did it suddenly do a write? Did it suddenly move more data? So we're not looking at either things breaking into a container or out of a container. We're actually looking at both sides of it. We're trying to prevent things from breaking into a container. Mm -hmm. We're trying to think, prevent things from breaking out of a container. And any change at this layer, uh, we actually trigger on because one one of the main things we do with instrumentation is what we call continuous retrending, continuously learning the behavior application. And if you push a new application, a new version, a new patch, we retrend, learn that new behavior, and then update your policies. So if you opened up a new port or a new service or added a new protocol that talks to the service, we don't suddenly flag it as anomalous or kill it because it wasn't supposed to be there. We learn that data, map it against our own threat um, models that we've built, and then update your policies and procedures. Let me pause there and see um, where you guys want to dive in. Yeah, well, so to do that, um, I, in describing your technology, it kind of sounds like you're uh, a rootkit inside of Docker that's monitoring all of this behavior. I don't know if that's an accurate description mm -hmm. or not, but that's kind of the gist that I'm getting. Yeah, so we don't run um, inside Docker. We use the Docker engine to package, our, and, package and ship ourselves. Um, so we run completely on the Docker engine. We're agnostic to infrastructure or platform, but we do have kernel-level knowledge. That's really what gives mm -hmm. us these superpowers to be able to take um, enforcement actions that are not like network-based segmentation. We can actually isolate an entire application as it sits next to another application on the same host. Um, so we can completely isolate them at the system level, at the network level. We can quarantine them. We can pause them. We can even detach them from the network and let our ML run on it and learn the malicious behavior and then push it into the rest of the infrastructure. Um, this is one well, of the I, I like that. That's something yeah. that, like, we don't have a, an example of today, but something yeah. that this technology allows you to do. See, this is actually one of the things I'll touch on is, is that my personal view is, is that there's a lot of features in the market right now. Myself and my co-founder decided to do this not company, not because security is fashionable right now. We've been miserable people who hate everything all our lives. That's why we do security. Um, <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> So the way I look at this is, is that one of the ways, for example, you can introduce deception is very interesting. 
I'm seeing a bunch of malicious stuff going on. This infrastructure is immutable. I can quickly quarantine this piece. I can move it into a new network. I can let Stackrocks ML run on it. I can discover all these features, and then I can pump it into the rest of the infrastructure and enforce against it. This is the models that we're building into our platform to shift the economics of cost for an attacker. So what we're trying to do is get as far left of the kill chain as possible. So even if we understand something is a probe into the infrastructure that will lead into other things, we can kill it, we can reshift infrastructure, we can give that intelligence to orchestrators so they can burn things to the ground. Um, so we're taking a very much a use case centric approach to security. If a customer tells us, I am a host-based centric security solution, I want your system to, at the kernel level to basically stop and quarantine everything, we can do that. If they say, no, 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 we do everything through Kubernetes, mm -hmm. I want you to pass your intelligence into that and that will basically um, enforce actions, we can do that as well. Um, the key thing is being able to work within this ecosystem. No, it's interesting. As much as I think this technology opens up a lot of different threats and exposures, at the same time, I think once we figure it out, it really has a lot of security benefits that we've already seen. Company you mentioned Netflix. We've already seen companies taking advantage of this technology. In that respect, I think it's really exciting. I think we're going to get a whole new threat landscape. Um, but mm -hmm. I also think we're going to have a whole new. We already have a whole new set of tools. We just figure out how to use them to prevent against all of these uh, different threats and attacks. I, I totally agree. And I think one key thing to remember is the core competency we're building is detection and defense. I think the industry has gone too far away from that. Uh, we focus so much on whitelisting, signatures, threat intelligence, segmentation, all these kind of bells and whistles. Uh, my view is as though I will put up you know, my money on a sufficiently advanced attacker within a segmented area to be able to figure their way out of that environment. But if you combine segmentation with very good detection, you force an attacker into short-term memory, basically. You force them into making decisions because otherwise they would get basically banished from the environment. This is where we're really proud of a lot of fantastic work Docker and its security team has done to foundationally build that into the fabric. Um, this is also why we think um, bringing kind of the notion of traditional security and trying to apply it here, like agent-based, heuristic-based, even network-based, as everything is moving towards mutual MTLS, um, uh, mutual application TLS, uh, we think the network approach or the agent-centric approach or a SaaS approach is not the right one. Um, it really has to start with defense and detection. And the analogy I use there is, is that, you know, if you went into an uncharted territory, an uncharted land, you know, new environment... Um, and you landed in kind of an environment you've never been before, a new planet, you know, that looks like kind of this new stack, you won't kind of build a wall and say, okay, now I'm safe. You know, you might have things that can crawl, that can dig, that can fly, um, aka zero days. Um, so you really have to build foundations in good, tech, in good detection, good enforcement, good visibility to be able to detect really what's going on. You could whitelist things, you can lock things down, but there's always going to be vulnerability. And because this stack is so much in its infancy, there is going to be more vulnerabilities. There are going to be more flaws and there's going to be more kind of shift. So you have to start at that step. I, it, one of my uh, concerns in all of the flexibility that we have with this uh, microservices and containerization um, is it, it's almost, in a, in a way, kind of like PHP, right? It's just wide open. <laughs> Anyone can, like, build yeah. anything they want. They can build it so it's awesome, <laughs> or they can build it so it's the most horribly vulnerable piece of crap on the planet. Right. And so how do you, are you dealing with those different scenarios? Because I feel like we all have a lot of tools to build this technology, and we can build it pretty crappy. And, and how sure. do we get people not to build it really crappy? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this is where I really feel like um, the answer is not a startup centric, but this is really where we have to rely on the ecosystem. Um, one of the first things we do when we go into enterprises, regardless of size, stage or scale, if they're talking to us about containerization security, we talk to them about good practices. Have you followed mm -hmm. Docker's, you know, benchmark security practices? Have you implemented those? Have you implemented notary, vulnerability scanning, all the basics in place? Um, because if you've built your foundation on 10% vulnerable or um, completely flawed, things, the next layer will be also dependent on that vulnerability underneath it. Um, so just like anything else, you have to get the foundation right. You have to get the basics right here um, before you move into the runtime piece. This is where I feel like um, there's really a collaborative effort here. Um, if you think about where containerization is going, containerization is really the substantiation in a form factor in a larger flow that is happening. And this flow is going from monolith to microservices to maybe Lambda and the most basic functions. Mm. Containers is the first supporting form factor of this flow. So what we are building for is this basically securing this flow longer term, which eventually extends into things like industrial IoT and edge-based computing. Mm -hmm. um, for us to be able to do this, I feel like it's going to really take a, an, an, a consolidated effort from us orchestrators, schedulers, other companies in this environment, and we have to bring a really a unified approach to securing this. This is why we're very proud of working very closely with companies like Docker with our partnership there or CoreOS, um, because we feel like it has to be a combined effort. There is no server bullet here. And quite frankly, I think any startup that comes out and says by themselves they can secure entire infrastructures is just full of crap. Yeah, and no, it, and I agree because I, I still think like one of the areas that we need. And we we're talking before the show about this of maturity that we need to recognize in this uh, realm is how you push things. What's the right way to do deployment and push things in production? Right. I think largely what I've noticed is the development model where people are playing with containers and microservices in development, and they're not really using it in production. And there's no standard way that I found that says this is how you build an application and put it in production. And to me, that's kind right. of scary. I think until we solve that problem, uh, we're going to be in this kind of uh, limbo in terms of security for, for this uh, Docker and containers. Yeah, and I think where um, where that's improving a lot, we're seeing a lot of great processes being put into place right now. Um, I think Docker is actually communicating and um, sharing that knowledge base quite openly now. Um, CoreOS companies around Kube, even Google and larger companies um, um, are doing this as well. Um, we think we're part of that um, that solution. Um, I don't I don't disagree that there's going to be a lot of change and a lot of shift. Um, this is I also think where you know the core concepts of security fall on on really good architecture here. Yes, um, but we I do agree. think it's a it's a phase process. Um, this is really where good design, good architecture, good strategy is going to be the the key factor here. Um, it's no longer based on kind of solving the immediate problem. And the way I describe this to our customers is, I don't know how I have to deal with a lot of the things in the next month or two or three months. But like a value investor, I can tell you where we're going to be in a year, in two years, in three years, in five years, and we can together solve those big problems because big problems take time to solve and yeah. do right. Um, the biggest thing we try to give our customers as feedback is don't do a patchwork. If it's not, if you don't have to buy us now because you have to buy a few other things first to make sure you're ready for us, do that. Because we want to be in this journey with our customers for a decade, not just for the next year or two. Yeah, and you know, that kind of speaks to, you know, when you're ready for, for this type of security. And mm -hmm. when I look at some of my own deployments, like I know I'm not ready because I'm not confident in my network architecture yet. I haven't taken my trusted secret data 
and treated that correctly in my environment? Mm -hmm. Because that's different, right? In I, the recommendation from Docker is to take that and put it in a separate container yep. uh, and do it that way. I got I to gotta get to that point first. I also think the way that uh, you deploy code is still kind of up in the air. Like, do you, do you use Git and pull it down into the container? But no, you want to deploy a whole new container. And that just, like, so changes how you develop and deploy <laughs> an application. Like, I, I think a lot of organizations aren't going to be ready yet, but it sounds like you're giving them uh, good advice to get them ready for, to implement your product. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, and I think what you're mentioning is right on. Um, I think the main thing is, is it goes back to our earlier point, which is even how you push code, um, or how you actually build your entire pipeline, again, comes down to use case. Mm -hmm. um, we're seeing companies that are building a single flat environment from dev um, to staging to pushing into production. We're seeing companies that are massively segmenting this process into even four or five different steps. So I think that's really the key driver. The way we look at it is, is that what is the problem we're trying to solve? And what is that problem in the context of the use case? Um, those are really the two driving factors for us. I feel like as a startup or any product, if you focus on those two things, am I solving this customer's problem in the context of their use case, um, you don't really have to worry about anything else because that will kind of work itself out with your, uh, yeah. with your product and if you have the right partnership. Um, so that's the main thing. If you build an agile, flexible enough architecture that can work within this type of ecosystem and the use cases customers have, then you have something really special, which is, I think, what we really feel here. Yeah. But, but the answer is, is, from the mainframe side, was always more containers. <laughs> always more point, containers. Though. Because the, the more you compartmentalize stuff, the easier it is to protect all those separate compartments from each other. So I always, and, and because the mainframe was so agile at being able to roll out these, these containers or shells, it, it was a lot easier to manage things like that. So trusted data is in this one. In fact, not all the trusted data is in this one. Now I've got trusted data is in this one and this one and this one because I don't even like the trusted data to trust other trusted data because all that trusted data could become corrupted and then corrupt other trusted data. So the more you compartmentalize, the better you are from a theoretical perspective when you try to translate that into practice for companies that don't have massive staffs, all of a sudden it's so much easier to go, let's just throw it all in one big container because then it's a lot easier to work with. <laughs> and then that, then you're right back to, to the, the beginning again, which is this container over here is this awful green oozing nasty container that nobody wants to get near. And here's these beautiful shiny silver ones on this side, but the shiny silver ones are a lot harder to maintain and monitor than that one big green oozing nasty one that you got over on the other side. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point. And a couple of things I'll add to that. One thing is, is that you're absolutely right. Um, compartmentalization and containerization um, gives us, from a security standpoint, a huge benefit, which is, is that we can apply behavioral modeling because we understand that particular container runs a very specific service. Um, the models are very well understood. So that's actually great. Um, it gives us a huge leg up on being able to do things that traditionally were not um, um, enabled, especially if you think about where a lot of solutions like analytics or UBA created so much false positives or alert fatigue with traditional infrastructure because of user and OS um, uh, noise. Um, the other part of it is um, um, if you kind of um, if you if you look at some um, some of the bigger companies where they're moving these large monolithic applications into containerization, uh, we look at this as the first step of their progression. They're just trying to get comfortable about using containerization. Um, some of the second steps we've seen from these companies before they actually go off and break these applications into a hundred pieces and truly go containerize and microservices is we've seen actually companies shove large applications into a container and then lock everything down and then actually spin up a set 
up services in containers where communications to that application only goes through those services or those containers. So they understand that this massive monolith processes, let's say, credit card information, it receives user information, and it has to do some authentication. And then what they do is, is they break apart just the APIs or you know, implement gRPC and then push the communications through separate paths. So it's kind of pseudo microservices in containerized environment, but it's getting them comfortable with how flow works, understanding how containerization environments respond, and it kind of prepares them for that longer path. Well, this is this is great. I we could talk all day about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can we just go like after yum, the show? Can we, like design my 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 app after that. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a drink and we'll set, start another session. And there, we'll you go. Go. there you go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. Um, so now, um, you folks just came out of stealth mode. You've uh, taken uh, a Series A for fourteen million. Um, what are you doing with that money? And what's your what's your plan for this year? And, and what kind of things you're going to be uh, doing at Black Hat? All right. So, um, you know, we, we've had a very simple motto from day one, which is build team, build product, serve customers. That's really all we focus on. Um, the main uh, the main thing we're going to use the, the financial um, um, input from now on is, is that we've gone through this whole process in the last two years, uh, validating the product, the market, building a massive customer base, um, building a lot of really great features into the product. Um, over the last six months, we validated a lot of our product market fit, a lot of the customer interactions we needed to have. Um, so this money is really for us to be able to pour some fuel on the fire, expand you know, external facing points of the company, expand marketing, sales, um, our support teams, mm -hmm. um, everything that really comes with building an organization. That's really yeah. the big part of it. So not, um, so not a lot, of, uh, not, it sounds like uh, it's more of a sales and marketing uh, and customer uh, service focused rather than research and development, although that's still a very critical path for you, especially in in this space. Um, so actually, it's it's a lot of it is actually really still flowing into engineering and yeah, R and D. Those are just kind of the new things that we never built before because we were in stealth until about yeah. three days ago. Um, so majority of it is actually still going towards R and D and engineering. Our engineering team constitutes like eighty percent and eighty five percent of our company, and that's really still the majority and the priority in hiring. Um, mostly because now we're starting to invest substantially on scale. You know, going from yeah. low thousands into tens of thousands of nodes and deployments. That's really where we have to go. Um, to be able to dominate this market. Um, but it is about educating, building thought leadership, and really kind of pushing the message to the market about what is the right way to do that. So that's the other part of where our resources can go, um, helping us be able to define that and set some context for, uh, for customers on a larger scale versus just one-on-one. -on -one. Um, at Black Hat, um, we're not doing anything kind of uh, big aside from just having a set of private demos. Uh, we have a customer appreciation day on Tuesday night where we're throwing a, a big dinner with a couple of dozen of our top customers um, who are coming and uh, celebrating our launch and the product and the new 1.2 product that we actually just pushed out a few days ago for Black Hat um, that we'll be demoing and pushing into our new customers. Um, so we'll be kind of doing private demos, meetings, and doing a big customer celebration thank, uh, appreciation day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Don't forget your universities. Give stuff to them for free because they'll. <laughs> yeah, we have a ton of um, ton of uh, swag giveaway, um, t-shirts, and other things that we'll be giving away. So definitely ping us, find us on uh, on our website, and uh, come see us as well. We'll we'll hand out a bunch of stuff. Cool. Melinda's actually put together some really really cool stuff. I think you guys know. She's pretty good with this stuff. We have a really really cool t-shirt that we'll uh, we'll unveil at Black Hat. I think it'll be a big hit. It's awesome, Melinda. I want one. Uh -huh. I, I want one too, Melinda. So you, know, you know who you are. So. Awesome. Well, Ali, thank you so much for coming on Startup Security Weekly. Uh, it's been awesome. I wish you the best of luck. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, getting a demo, perhaps, uh, at Black Hat uh, and seeing more about Stackrocks.
Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate you having me here. Thank you for both for your, uh, for your time. Thank you. That concludes this episode of Startup Security Weekly. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. We won't see you next week, but we'll see you the week after when we come back from Black Hat and DEF CON. Thanks, everyone.